Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. How are you going today? I'm doing really well, Robbie. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm looking out the the window and I'm seeing that since I came inside a while ago into the studio, it is definitely raining. And um, yeah, we- it's been like that for the last day or so. Yeah, did you? I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I just was before. I was like, I, I better check the weather reports, man, because um, the <laughs> yeah. reality is that. Uh, well, we were let, trying to fit on. in a surf. Well, no, I was not trying oh. to fit in a surf. That would be nice. Okay, I was just kind of trying to realize I don't have a, a pet rock to tell me the weather, so I thought I might try and check check online. And um, but it's really interesting. So yeah. the the forecast at the moment, I just was trying to check and see. So if you know what's happening around around New South Wales or early, uh, blah, 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 what are we southern Hunter, Queensland? That's Hunter what I'm trying region. to say. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, let us know because I was just trying to check because I, I yesterday I was finding out that the uh, the forecast for the weather was was some intense amounts of rain of potentially, rain. Yeah. and I was just trying to see if that's been happening. I just haven't haven't been aware. Are you aware? Yeah, I'm aware. So I think it's the northern tablelands and like north of that, they're they're all flooding. So wow, and it's just like a little reminder of what happened. Like was it last year, the year before? Yeah, yeah, just crazy. So. Um, yeah, you don't know, we, especially with Australian weather. We've you you just don't know. Like we went from drought to flood, so we could we could possibly have a, little, a lot more rain. Yeah, yeah, hectic. Wow, yeah, for sure. So if you are uh, if you're out in those places and you are in need, please contact us and we can put you in, yep. in touch. We can find some local some local churches or other ways that can support and help you if you are in that space. So if you'd like to do that or in or in need, please feel free to call or text to zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. And uh, we would love to be able to put you in touch with some people in your local area who might be able to give you a hand if you're yeah. in need. So please feel free to do that. We've got a great show lined up for you today. I'm super excited to be continuing our journey through the book of John. And uh, we're going to be jumping into John chapter 7 today, mm. which is a fantastic chapter. And I'm going to be honest, I think every chapter of the book of John is fantastic. It is it's it true. Is a, it it's is. a really great book. It really book. is a great book. It's a yeah. great book. So we're excited to, to get back into that. And uh, we've also got, uh, I think, your your long-term childhood friend, yeah. Rose, coming on the show today to share a bit of a testimony for our Testify segment, which we're super excited about. Yeah. Excited to have her calling in all the way from Victoria. Yeah. So that's exciting to have her on the show today. And uh, also, well, I'm excited about Weird and Wonderful, because I always get excited about the Weird and Wonderful <laughs> facts that you're going to share with us. So yeah. it's going to be a great show. Make sure you stick around. And uh, just before we go to our next song by John Bryant called Were You There?, I just wanted to do another shameless plug that you want to make sure you stick around, have your phone handy, because at some point during the show, we're going to be giving you a code word that you can call or text in to receive a free copy of a giveaway that we're going to tell you about in a moment. And you can also send your questions in at any time during the show. This is John Bryant. Were you there?
listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio, and it has come that time of the day where we are going to talk about what weird. a weird and wonderful what? world God wonderful. has made for us. And uh, just before we do that, I just wanted to give you a shout out because we are, by the way, you can always send in your questions at any time during the show between now and the end for our question of the week segment. We love to hear from you about the questions you have about God, spirituality, the Bible, etc. And we'd love to be able to try and answer those questions with you. And also, at some point during the show, we're going to drop, particularly sometime during the Bible study, we're going to drop a code word that you can text in to receive a free copy of this book. The Richest Caveman, the story of an evangelist called Doug Batchelor, who grew up in Southern California. He was a person who was living a pretty wild lifestyle, money, drugs, all sorts of hectic stuff. But anyway, he eventually walked away from all of those things and lived in a cave. And uh, as he was living in this cave, he started to read the Bible and he eventually came to believe the good news of Jesus Christ. He transformed his life, and he has become a big evangelist who has helped to lead many people by the power of the Holy Spirit mm. to Jesus. And uh, fascinating story. So if you'd like to get your hands on that, make sure that you call or text in at 0491-064-669 when you hear the code word later. So what do you have for us today, Tash? So today, if you look at your calendars, it's the 11th of November. So the 11th of the 11th, which is Remembrance Day. So today, wherever you were, you may have stopped at the 11th, 11th minute, 11th hour, which is today. And people would have stopped and paused to remember, um, those who had given their life in service in, for their country. 
And especially this, this was origi- it originated from World War One. And so, yeah, mm. today is definitely a, a big day for um, Australia because that's where the Anzacs were formed, um, where Australia and New Zealand, they fought together. And that's where we have that camaraderie. But it got me thinking, like, I have my final exam tomorrow and I have to memorize so many things. And so in... Ah, remembrance. Yes, yeah, so it's you. remembrance. And so... I see the connection. Oh, and you think, like, how good is your memory? Like, I sat through all those classes. I turn up to every lecture. But I can't, for some reason, when it comes to the end of the semester, it's not all there. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you may not be the only person who's had that experience. I'm not. I'm not. Thankfully, I'm not the only person. And so it's, <laughs> so today's weird and wonderful facts are about how, how can we remember all these things, especially when it comes to, like, exams or tests or um, when you've got to remember large chunks of things. Can I make a guess? Yes. I, I have a feeling hydration is a part of it. Yes, it is. Yes, I knew it. People do Yeah, I'm going to drink some more water right for now. Sure. Yeah. Hey, guess what? I People- think I remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> and look, when it comes to like stressful things, you have to remember for like a test or an exam. People, the first things that go that sh- that you should do are like eating right, hydrating, and resting, and like exercising. Those go out the window. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's not important. Isn't it funny that when people want to want to perform well, the first thing that they do is they stop doing everything naturally that helps them to perform well. (laughs) Yeah, like you just don't cram for your test. And like the the, here's when I take a test, for example, the morning of, typically I'm like, I'll get up, and if I've got some time that I want to finish doing some final study, do that. But make sure you get a good sleep, get up, and go exercise. You are better off not studying the morning of your test. Yeah. And going and running a mile yeah. and getting your blood pumping yeah. so that your brain can function. So that your brain optimally. can function. Yeah, yeah. it's so they've, true. They've actually done studies. By the way, it's, you should read a book. I can't remember yeah. the name of the author, but it's called Spark. Okay. And the name of the, the, the author is escaping me. Maybe maybe you can look that up on your computer while we're doing this. Spark. And uh, it's basically – the book is fantastic. And it's basically a scientific study of how exercise is not primarily about your physical health but about your mental health. Hmm. And talks about how important exercise is, aerobic specific, specifically aerobic exercise, to your mental health performance. Yeah. So it's the, the revolutionary new science of exercise and the brain. So check that out. What was the it's name of the author? Spark John J. Rady? Yeah, John J. Rady. John That's J. Rady. Okay, so here's Boom. some quick rapid-fire tips that you can do if you are cramming for your year 12 exams, your year 11 exams, wherever you are, whatever test it is. Uh, so... Go through your notes, section your notes, summarize your notes, um, use some memory place techniques, um, tell a weird story, and then you remember the obscure details that way. <laughs> it's true. It really works. I don't believe you, but I'll, <laughs> I'll accept the statistics, but I'm going to find what works for me. It's, that doesn't work for me. Repetition, <laughs> repetition, repetition, repetition. That works. Yeah. Um, chunking, that works for me. What is chunking? Is that like eating peanut butter on your couch or what? No, it's kind of like... That's, that's my kind of chunking. <laughs> no. That's what I want to do before a test. Okay. Like, you know, when you memorize a phone number... And so people oh, like, you memorize it in pieces. In pieces. In so chunks. you chunk oh, okay. in chunks. Okay, got you. Like a phone number. Uh, teach it to somebody. That's another Cookie cool one. Chunks. Yeah, anyway. Uh, high levels of information. People use mnemonics. So memory aids. So mnemonics. Man, I feel like I'm going to need an answer key for this for these recommendations. Well, no, like mnemonics. Like every good boy deserves fruit. Do you remember what that is? Oh, that's the musical lines. Yeah. On, that's yeah, e- that's the musical lines on, on um E G B D F. That's that one. That's it. Wow. Okay. Or face. Oh, I don't know if I can fit <laughs> these last facts. Okay, so again, don't pull all nighter. It's not good. Yeah, get no sleep. Focus. Sleep is necessary. Sleep. It helps consolidate your memory and it helps things to stick. So don't cram the night before. Get a good night's rest. That's right. Yeah. And that's then right. get up in the morning and then go if, even if it's just a walk. 
that's going to help you be better prepared and memorize for your exam, your test, whatever's coming. I love it. So make sure you do at least one of those. This is Tennessee (laughs) Ernie Ford. I am a soldier of the cross. soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, and shall I fear to own his cause, or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me unto God? Sure, I must find if I would reign, increase my courage, Lord. A follower of the Lamb And shall I fear to own his cause Or blush to speak his name Thanks to Real Faith with Roby and Tesh, and this is Faith FM, and now it's time for our Testify segment, and this is where we get to hear from real people and their journeys and uh, life with God and what God is doing in their lives. So sometimes it's an answer to prayer, a God moment, part of the testimony, but through our guests, we get to hear, we get to see what God is doing in their life, and we have a special guest with us today. She is an old, old, dear friend of mine. Her name is Rosa. I call her Loss. Because what? Because the, I don't ro- see the, the Rosa, her, her name is Rosa, but in in Psalm one becomes Losa. Oh, okay, got you. That makes more sense. Even though it's R, we say L anyway. <laughs> but Rosa's been a friend of mine since we were five, and so her Rosa, another friend Maria, and another our other friend um, Sala. So the four of us have been friends since we were five, and so yes, we have her on to here today. Are you there? Yes. Hi, everyone. Hi, Rose. Hello, Rosa. <laughs> this is Robbie as well. Hi, we- <laughs> we're good. We're good. Um, we just want to thank you again for coming on. Um, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad to have you on. And before we get into your story, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to at the moment? Um, so I am a married woman. You. I'm a first-time mom. I have you. a th- I have a 16 month old baby. She is turning three. She's turning three, actually. She's already she's just growing up so fast. But yeah, she's she's 16 months anyway. But um, yeah. So um, I'm now part of still in church, part of a ministry, and yeah, which you'll hear all about it in the in my testimony. So <laughs> okay, life is good. 
Awesome. Thank you again for um, being with us and sharing with us today. And I'll just give you the time now. So tell us your story. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to share a, a God moment. Okay. Um, so from the top of my head, um, 2016, I, I, I joined a ministry called um, The Revive. Um, and one thing I could remember was um, there was one Bible study that we had it was on a Saturday afternoon, and the topic was on prayer. And the question that was raised, um, uh, do you do you pray a generic prayer or the same prayer every day? or And is it because you're not connected with God, or is it because you're, um, you may be skeptical or scared to ask God for something? Because you're, you're scared. You know, God always turns up, you know. You know what they say, be careful what you pray for, <laughs> um, <laughs> because God will always turn up. So, um, so yeah, they went around the circle and they said, look, we're going we're gonna to just utter it out loud and just say the one thing that you would want God to do for you. So they came around to me and I said, look, I've never done any Bible studies before, but I, the one word I, I'm going to utter out is boldness. I pray for boldness to be able to... Um, have the confidence and be able to share um, God with others. And, you know, and I was really shy um, at that time. So it was Saturday. Anyway, come Monday, um, I had casuals at work and were really busy. And um, there was an error, a massive error on our job. And then um, we ended up solving the error and we fixed the job. And then I just uttered the words like, oh, as you do, um, thank you, Lord out loud and then I just see a casual she kind of like moved back like and I was like whoa was she offended should I have said that out loud but it was just something that I normally just do and um and then I walked away and I said Lord I pray for boldness and I'm scaring people away so I'm just like oh um anyway so I just know that come break time she came up to me and she said hey do you um do you go to church are you a believer I said yeah yeah I'm a believer and she's like and yes, I do go to church. She goes, oh, I'm just looking for somewhere where I can um, have Bible studies. Um, I'm really trying to connect with God, and I've lost a lot of friends in the way. And, and I was like, yeah, um, yeah, I know where there's Bible studies. And she's like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, uh, at my house. And I, I remember, I didn't. This is what I prayed for, but I hadn't done any Bible studies, hadn't organized anything. And I said to her, yeah, my house. She's like, when? And I'm like, oh, this Friday? And she's like, really? Can I come out? And I said, yeah, sure. That, comp- that confession ended. I walked up and I was like, Lord, what just happened? And so um, from that Monday to that Friday, my head was just spinning. And I was like, Lord, I just said I'm doing Bible studies on Friday. I didn't even know what I'm going to study, what I'm going to share. And I just re- reached out to the team. I said, I need prayer. I just said I was going to start a Bible study. People were coming. I didn't even know what I did. Anyway, she came over. Not only did she come over, but she brought some family and friends. So, um, so yeah, so um, it was mind-blowing. Uh, it was it was a big step for me, but um, I'll always look back to that day where, you know, I prayed for something. God just used me. He, just, he didn't waste any time. And, um, you know, leading up to that time, I was like, oh, Lord, please help them to um, be busy on that day. Like, 
um, put obstacles in their way that they can't make it. Now, not only did she come, but she brought more. So, um, yeah, it, it, and from there, um, so um, Tasha, she mentioned um, a group of friends, our best friends. Uh, we we have studies on Tuesdays. My husband does Bible studies on Monday. Wednesdays, I have a women's cell. And Fridays, my husband and I do a couple cell. And ministry, we do um, every Sabbath. So, yeah, it's just um, growing. So, you know, definitely on the way, we've definitely had our seasons. But, um, yeah, be careful what you ask for. But I think an encouragement um, I'd like to give today is, um, don't be scared to ask um, God for anything because if you can use someone like me that was scared, shy, or not confident, he definitely turned that around for me. So now I'm at a point where I love to share and talk about God. So, yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful, Rosa. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your story. We pray that God will continue to bless you and use you in your ministry. And um, oh, yeah, may God bless you. This is Allison Krause in Union Station, A Living Prayer. Mom!
This is a rerun of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show. All right, you're listening to Faith FM, and this is Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and we're excited to have you with us today. And uh, I was just trying to remember what the last song was, but it's not up there anymore anyway, so I can't recall. But anyway. We had the news. We had the news. That's mm, right. Yeah. So we're excited to have you with us today. We're excited to continue our journey through the book of John, and we are up to John chapter 7. So if you have access to a Bible in front of you, you uh, can turn with us to the Gospel of John, which is the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John. Excuse me, and we're in John chapter 7. Now, just before we get into that, we want to do another plug here for our code word of the day, which uh, when you hear that code word announced, we're going to announce it randomly at some point during this Bible study. The uh, Was it the first caller? I think the first caller today is going to receive a free copy of this book. The Richest Caveman. It's the story about Doug Batchelor, and he actually lived in a cave. I love it. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm a little jealous. It, it's and how he ended up there, it goes through it in the book, how he was the son of a rich man and he was going through a lot of things and ended up in a cave and then had an encounter with God. And so Doug Batchelor is now um, just a, a evangelist and he's doing good things for God. But yeah, this story just tells us about yeah what happened in that time in the cave. So what an amazing book. Yeah, an amazing and very interesting story. So if you'd like to get your hands on that, you can call or text in when you hear the code word to 0491-064-669. That number again is 0491-064-669. And remember, you can also send in your questions for our Question of the Week segment to that same number at any point during the show, and we would love, absolutely love to hear from you. So we're going to get into our Bible study, but we're going to start with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much, God, that you are with us. Please fill us with your spirit and teach us as we read your word and lead us to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So last week we finished off in John chapter 6, and um, we left off with, well, where did we leave off, Tash? What, what, what happened? What happened? Look, one of the biggest things from chapter 6 was Jesus talking about how he was the bread of life. Boom. That's like, yeah, the main the main heart of what's going on in chapter 6. And so when we leave, um, he's, yeah. um, what do you call it? So uh, he talks to the 5,000, gets in the boat, and then they follow him, and then people people leave. That's right. Yeah, so they don't know how to take what Jesus is saying to them because some of it doesn't, it sounds a little strange because he's saying to them, you need to partake of my my flesh, my bread, my blood. And for them, they were just like, look, I thought it was all good, and I was following you for maybe different reasons, but the Jesus that I'm seeing right now is not what I want. So a lot of the disciples left. And so but not was, all of them, and not, some not of them all stayed of them, with but, him. Yeah. And that's where we're continuing our story. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so we're going to start in John chapter 7 today, and um, we're in verse 1. And would you like to start that for us, Tash? Yes. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. I'm going to continue reading, Robbie, but I just want to point something out before we go on. <laughs> I'm sorry. One verse. One verse. Well, let's comment on it. What's going on? Okay. So in all, all other the synoptic gospels, what's happening in this one sentence actually takes a lot longer. It actually is, some say about six months worth of Jesus traveling around Galilee. So John just tells us in a sentence, but it's not just like he moved from one place to the next. There's actually a, a lot of things that happen 
in this one sentence. Yeah, I just want to point that out. Well, I think that's good to note. That's good to note because when you when you read the Gospel of John, you have to remember there are four gospel accounts, and gospel means good news. And so the the four gospel accounts are basically they're saying it's telling the story of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, including particularly around his ministry, primarily in the three and a half years that he ministered, and that story is covered in the what's called the synoptic gospels that that carry the same synopsis or the same general course of events and are and, and share a lot of the same stories Matthew Mark and Luke but John's gospel so to for his account of the good news of Jesus right he highlights specific stories because he wants to communicate certain aspects of that story the others are already written John is the the final gospel that's written it's perhaps one of the final books of the bible that's written um yeah some scholars suggest that it was written in the 90s AD, so he John was the last of the apostles left when he wrote this, and uh, it's kind of like his closing words, right? Yeah. And so when we get to this point, it's it's highlighting there was a lot going on that wasn't wasn't covered in John's story in that space, and you can read more about that in the others. All right. I'll continue reading. <laughs> okay, verse two. <laughs> now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, so his brother said to him. Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that it works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Okay, I just want to highlight something. We've talked a little bit about the feasts, so I don't want to labor that point too much. But notice, which feast is it? So it's the Feast of the Booths. So another another name for it is Feast of Tabernacles. So this is one of the three annual feasts at which all of the Jewish males of, or, or of, of military age, right, once you were a man, and you were supposed to go up to these three pilgrimage feasts, and this is one of them. This was the one that was, as far as I understand, the most widely participated in. This feast would last typically for seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a special there was a special celebration on the eighth day of the feast, and we're going to come into that as we go through. But notice some of the things that are going on here. First of all, did you know that Jesus had brothers, right? And elsewhere, yeah. it tells us that Jesus also had sisters, um, so it's it's very fascinating to note this. Now, in uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, it tells us that he had at least four brothers because he had four brothers that were named, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Depending on the translation, Joseph could also be Joseph, Judas is Jude, etc. But there are four brothers that Jesus has listed in Scripture. Now, these would most almost certainly be younger siblings because Jesus was the first of Mary, unless which we don't have information about this from Scripture, unless Joseph had other children to a previous wife, but we're not told any of that, so it's safe to assume these were his younger siblings. Now, it's interesting to note here, the question that's on my mind is, why were they encouraging him to go up to the feast? Notice some of his, uh, some of the language there. They say, leave here, go to Judea, that your disciples or your followers may see the works you are doing. So it sounds like they're recognizing that he's doing works. Now, works is one of the words in, in the Greek. It's ergon, and it's, it's often used in the context of miracles, signs, and wonders, or works, right? God doing these miraculous deeds. But then it says this. They say, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly, right? And what are they trying to say? If you are the Messiah, 
if you are going to save us from the Romans, why don't you go out there and get a get a gathering, get a crowd, get a following, and start get this thing moving? Mm-hmm. Especially considering that last verse covers about six months in a, of a period in Galilee, right? If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So notice this. There's some level of skepticism or doubt or unbelief, even though it's very likely they had seen or at least had been hearing about the signs and the wonders that Jesus had been performing. But also, I think it's incredibly important to note, and this highlights and it starts in this chapter in a huge way, Jesus' answer to them is this, my time has not yet come. Now, it's interesting that that's the same thing that he had said to his mother when she said, hey, come and make, turn the water into wine. Deal with this problem. Show who you are. But notice that he's saying the same thing. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet fully come. You can go anytime. There's no problem for you because you're, you're by implication, you're still in the ways of the world. The world cannot hate you because you're still a part of it. He says, but the world hates me because I'm exposing it. When you see Jesus living the life of God, when you see someone, and this by extension, that you see this in other people's lives, oftentimes when people see somebody who is living a pure and holy life that's out of the, the, the that's contrasted against theirs, you know what people often do? Because I found myself doing this in the past, yeah. and unfortunately, probably more recently yeah. at times, not aware of it. When you see someone else who's living a more godly life than you, Oftentimes, people will then want to bring that person down, shut them down. Why? Because it exposes the wickedness in your own life. So often that will happen. And when you see Jesus' life and ministry, how many people are wanting to tear him down? Because it's exposing the wickedness in their own lives. It's exposing the hypocrisy in their own lives. And he says, look, look, my time hasn't yet come. Why? Because if I go and expose myself, I'm going to be killed. And it's not yet my time to die because I need to die on time according to prophecy. This is Sufjan Stevens, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon. 
Listening to Real Faith with Roby and Tasha. And this is Faith FM. We're glad to have you back. And we want to remind you that we have a secret code word coming up in, during our Bible study. But don't forget as well to ring in. Uh, we want your questions. Text in your questions. Any questions to do with the Bible study. That's right. Nobody's anything. called yeah. or texted in a question yet. So yet. I'm putting some pressure on. We want to get some questions from you. I've, I know. I missed out. The week I was gone, they told me three people called in with questions, maybe four. And uh, and then nobody called in with questions when I got back last week. So I got all this hype, all this celebration that so many people were reacting, and I I was really devastated. I didn't get to be here. I go away for a COVID test, and everybody forgets about me. <laughs> anyway, so please call or text in with your questions. But yeah. also, we're going to have a code word coming for you soon. And when you hear that code word, you can call or text 0491-064-669. Sorry, I had a phone call coming. I was trying to silence it. Zero four nine one zero six four double six nine, and the first caller that calls in when we give that code word is going to receive a free copy of the richest caveman, the Doug Bachelor story, the story how he was lost in a cave. Well, not lost in a cave; he lived. He was in lost a, spiritually while living in a cave. While living in a cave, and he found Jesus. Yeah, through a Bible, he found a Bible, and it's an awesome story. And I would encourage you to get that, and uh, you can do that by calling or texting in when you hear the code word. All right, so we're going to jump back in because we've got a lot of ground to cover. So we're in John chapter 7, and we're continuing in verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He's a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Oh man, we got to pause there. Any, any thoughts on that? I've just, I've just got a thought that I really am itching to share. No, I just feel like the people are like, mm, Ooh, what's un- that? undecided. What should we do? Like, yeah. What do you think? What do you think? No, please, t- like they, they want to react, but they're not sure. They're not sure whether they're they can. I, I love this. You know, it's really fascinating to me. There's um, one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. I don't agree with him on all points theologically, but he's a great writer. And uh, one thing that he said that I thought was really, really profound related to this passage. It's fascinating to me. Here he comes up later privately so that no one's announcing him. He's not known. 
it says the Jews are looking for him. There was much muttering about him, but but I notice what what what's said here. Some people said he's a good man. Other people said, no, he's leading people astray. And I want to just highlight something. There are many, many people in the world today who know something of Jesus, and they say, Jesus, yeah, yeah, he was just a good man. He was just like a good moral teacher. But the reality is, unless unless Jesus was telling the truth, you could not call him a good moral teacher because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be the only way to access God. And if he was not telling the truth in those things, point number one, he's not a good man because he's not telling the truth. Point number two, he would he would either be a liar or he would be a lunatic or he's telling the truth. That's that's it's often referred to as C.S. Lewis's trilemma. Um, uh, he's not the only person who's put that that argument out there. But the idea is that Jesus is either lunatic, a liar, or he is the Lord that he declared himself to be. And I love that right here you're seeing this. When people are encountering Jesus, they have one of two opinions. He either is who he says he is, or he is as bad as the devil, right? Like, that's kind of what's being portrayed here. All right. Any, everywhere that Jesus comes, it, it seems that division is taking place among the people. They're either for him or against him. There's not much middle ground. All right, so what's Jesus going to do here in Jerusalem? Let's continue in verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning? When he has never studied. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Ooh, let's pause there. Yeah. Oh, oh, there's some good stuff there. You you look like you have something you want to talk about. Tash, I, don't, please. I don't have much to say. I'm just because Jesus is speaking with authority because he is God. It's that's the authority. Because he is one with God. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so it's not like I come on behalf of somebody, um, I come because I learned this from somebody, or I read this from... No, Jesus is God, so he is in direct contact with God as well. And so he comes not only in authority, but he comes as God. I love it. I love it. And it's, yeah. it, it's along with that point, one thing that just really sticks out to me is that the people are astonished. And why are they astonished? Because they're amazed, first of all, that Jesus is teaching, that he's making so much sense, that he's expositing scripture. He's telling them what these things mean. He's speaking with authority. Now, you got to understand here, they were blown away because they did not recognize him as someone who had been trained in Jerusalem under the schools of the rabbis. When he speaks, he's not speaking and quoting from, like there's no references here where Jesus is up there teaching and any of the teachings that we have recorded of Jesus, he's not there saying, and Rabbi Yosef says this, or Rabbi Ben-Hadad says that, right? That is not what he's saying. He's declaring the scriptures and interpreting them with accuracy, with vividness, and applying them directly to the people's lives. And he's saying, this is what it means. And he's not, he's not looking for some biblical commentary from some rabbi from some period of time to back himself up. He says, no, this is what the word of God says. And his authority is based on the word itself. Mm. And I love this. And when the people are astonished at this, they're like, who, who is this guy? He didn't get trained. How does he know his letters? What does that mean? Put that in a common lingo. How can this man read? Yeah. How does this guy know how to read? He hasn't gone to school. Right, Because most people at this period of time were illiterate. The vast majority of the whole world at this point in history was totally illiterate. How in the world does this guy know so much scripture so well? Because he's put it to heart. He's put it to memory. He's learned to read somehow. Who trained him? Who taught him? 
Well, Scripture only leaves us a small amount of information to indicate that it was probably primarily his mother. But she probably, how did she learn to read? All of these questions become significant are coming into the mind. Now, check this out. This is what I love most about what we've just read that I wanted to comment on. In verse 17, Jesus says this, right? If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. What's he saying here? He's saying, look, and this is a powerful life lesson. You can go and get a theology degree, and that's great, and that's helpful, and that's, that's valuable. You can go and get an academic college degree, and those are great, wonderful things. But here's the point. If you want to know whether something is from God or not, it's not about knowing the right commentator. It's not about right, knowing the right commentary. You can know all the biblical Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and you can still be lost. Mm. If you really want to know whether it's God's will, you have to be willing to seek to do God's will. If you want to read the Bible and get something valuable out of it, you need to not approach it from the perspective of, I'm just going to read this as some sort of interesting historical text. What you really need to do is say, what am I going to do with this? When I discover God's will, am I going to seek to put God's will into my life and to allow him to change my trajectory, right? If you're seeking to truly know God's will, there is no doubt that God will show you the way and you will find him. It's not about necessarily having the right, the right background, the right education. Notice that the people that Jesus called were not predominantly religious teachers and leaders and educated people. The, most of the people who were coming to believe in Jesus, not all, but most, were not the people who had been educated. And that should come as a shock to us in the West. Perhaps part of the reason is we want to know for the sake of knowing, not for the sake of doing. Well. Anyway, if you really want to know whether it's God's words, you need to be willing to seek for God's will, not our own. Mm-hmm. Powerful stuff here that Jesus is saying, and convicting and confronting to all of us. All right, so he says that, and then in verse 18, he continues. The one who speaks on his own own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him in true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me, because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. There's so much in this. Man, you could talk for a year on this book and not even scratch the surface, could you? We're going to comment on that in a moment. We're going to listen to a song now. This is Aaron J. Robinson, Our Great Savior. What a friend for sinners Jesus, lover of my soul Friends may fail me, foes assail me He, my Savior, makes me whole Hallelujah, what a Savior Hallelujah 
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio. I'm having a hard time keeping a straight face because you just missed it. But we had I had a, I played a great joke on Tash off air. It was great fun. It was. Yeah, we had her going. It was, it was yeah. <laughs> uh, but you'll find out about that when we tell you what the code word is. The secret code word. But we're not going to tell you just yet. We're going to have to keep you hanging a little bit longer. So. When you hear the code word, which is what I'm laughing about, so you're going to want to hear it, you uh, can call or text in to 0491-064-669. You can also call or text that number with any questions that you have. And uh, if you call or text in with the code word to 0491-064-669, you are going to receive a free copy of this book. What was it called? Caveman? It was Preacher in a Caveman? Anyway, I can't remember the name of the book. We just, we lost, we had it in front of us and we lost it. The, the Doug richest Bachelor caveman. story. The richest caveman. There we go. The story of how a man named Doug Bachelor, who's now a worldwide evangelist mm. for sharing the good news of Jesus with the world, and how he experienced a conversion while living in a cave in, I believe it's in Southern California, my, my neck of the woods. And uh, it's a great story. Make sure you call or text in when you hear the code word, and it's coming at you soon. All right, so let's jump back into our text. So Jesus has just said all of this stuff. Now I want to highlight a couple of quick things. The people are telling Jesus that he's crazy, right? Yeah. Jesus had said a couple of really key things. First of all, he says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. 
right? He says, I'm not speaking this on my own authority. I'm speaking it on the authority of God the Father who sent me to do this work, right? And so what's interesting here is, I love what you said there. He's the one who spoke these words in the beginning, right? Like, Jesus is the word made flesh. He's the one who spoke the world into existence. He's the one who spoke to the people. He's the one who, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? He's the, all, all through these things in scripture, you see Jesus being the one who's giving the words of God to humanity. But he says that here, as he's operating as a human being on earth, he's not doing it just on his own human authority. He's doing it on divine authority, and he's doing it in this context as the one who was sent. Mm. Which is fascinating because when you think about the authority that the teachers of the law should have had, they were supposed to have it on the authority of God, on the authority of his word, not on their own authority. And what he seems to be indicating here is that there are people who are not true in what they are doing and what they are saying. They're not rightly expositing scripture. There's hypocrisy happening. They're doing it on their own authority. They're arguing and bickering about things, not from a biblical basis, but from the basis of all of these different commentators and which rabbi you follow and all of these different things. And there's a lot of these human traditions that are all mixed in, but he's calling them back again and again to the authority of God's word. And I love this. He's like, has not Moses given you the law, the law there meaning the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses? Mm. He says, but, but you, none of you, keeps it, right? He says, in other words, Moses gave you all this stuff. You, you, you look to Moses, and yet none of you is doing what Moses is talking about. And then he goes on and he changes his, his scene. He's like, so why are you trying to kill me? And then people are like, whoa, you're crazy. You're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? You're out of your mind. And then he says something interesting, and he hearkens back. Now, you got to remember, it's about 18 months, most likely, since the last time he was in Jerusalem, right, when he did this sign that was mentioned previously. And that sign was healing the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda, right? And remember, he healed him on the Sabbath day, the day of rest. And remember, as we talked about in John chapter 5, when that took place, he called him to pick up his bedroll and to walk, which was a common debate among the rabbis of the day about whether or not that was considered to be work. And what's interesting here is that what he's highlighting is he's saying, look, there are times where you say, according to the traditions of the elders— yeah, we'll, we'll circumcise on the eighth day, even if that's the Sabbath, even though we would consider that typically to be work in their context, they would say that. He says, you consider that making one part of the person's body is is a way that's in keeping with the Sabbath? And he says, so what's wrong with me healing the whole person's body, mentally, physically, emotionally? And he says, you're not judging with right judgment. You're bickering and nitpicking at things, and it's all not based on what Scripture says, because Scripture doesn't deal with the point. Scripture doesn't say anything about whether or not healing should take place on the Sabbath, to my knowledge. None of the passages that I've ever read. However, it was spoken about in the Talmud and the Mishnah. And it's interesting that they talked about not being healed on the Sabbath, but those were man's traditions, not God's words. Fascinating stuff. And he's like, you're trying to kill me because I did what is right on the Sabbath. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. All right, so let's go on for verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? I love, by the way, just right there, that some people are like acknowledging that, yeah, there are people trying to kill Jesus. Notice how mixed up this crowd is. Yeah. <laughs> Crowds tend well, to be le- this The way. leaders are just denying, denying it for now. Uh, 26. And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? 
But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they are seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Awesome. Oh, man. This chapter, like that, that paragraph's a little bit full on and back and forth. Like the word no comes up in there one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in that one little passage. But I want to highlight that when you're reading this, notice that there's a bit of, there's, there's a lot of back and forth in the crowd. Jesus, whenever he appears and he's teaching or he's doing things, there's a lot of dissension among the people in the sense that there's people who believe, there's people who are, I guess you should say, I should say it this way. When conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, there's two ways we can respond. We can accept and respond to conviction, or we can reject and deny conviction. Mm. And really, that's what we see happening in here. And you've got people who are in that valley of decision, so to speak, and they're trying to decide, who is who is Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he not the Messiah? Is he a good teacher? Is he a false teacher? And you see that happening here. And notice one of, what some of the things are that they're saying. They're like, hang, hang on a second. We know where this dude comes from, but when the Messiah comes, nobody's going to know where he's from. Bum, bum. Where does it say that in Scripture? It actually doesn't. In fact, it says very plainly, and I think uh, I'm having a, a mental blank on what book this is in. I think it might be Micah, but anyway, it's, it's, it's escaping my brain. But it tells us that Jesus, right, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. And we find that out later in the chapter that they knew this. But I want to highlight something. Was Jesus born in Galilee? Right? Because they're saying, well, he's from, we know where he's from. He's from Galilee. Well, that's not where the Messiah is going to come from. But, but is that where Jesus was born? No, he was not born in Galilee. He was born in the city of Bethlehem, the city of David, and then he was taken to Egypt for a short period of time as a, as a child, a toddler, and then he was taken up to Galilee and raised in Nazareth. And what I want to just highlight here that I think is significant is sometimes rather than asking the questions, we assume, and then we get ourselves into trouble. I have done this many, many times in my life, even recently, and it winds up creating more problems and more confusion rather than identifying the reality and navigating through it. And I think it's really interesting to note here that some of the stuff that's going on here, if they had just stopped to reason and ask Jesus rather than debating amongst themselves, they might have come up with some answers that would have corrected their course and given them the information that they needed. Why didn't they just ask him, hey, where do you come from, Jesus? You know, the, the, the scripture says that Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Where, where were you born? They could go and ask, yeah. right? His brothers were at the feast. What about his mother, right? Like all of these people who knew these, these facts and pieces of information, but nobody's pushing to actually find out more. They're just commentating and debating amongst themselves about what they think they know. How often are we all getting into trouble just comparing ourselves among ourselves, trying to talk about what we think we know rather than addressing the people who actually have the information to find out what we need to know. I think that's just a really broad-reaching principle, not just a spiritual application, but just a general application in life. I love also that it says, but when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? 
Isn't that interesting that they're just like highlighting? Jesus has done so many signs. Now remember, the word sign, what's, what's the word there in the Greek? Semeon. Semeon. Yeah. And the point is, the signs, that word specifically means a demonstration of some sort of miraculous power or something else, but the point is that it identifies the character and the nature of the person doing the signs. What are they trying to say? He's demonstrating evidence that he is the Messiah, the scent of God. Who's going to give us more evidence than what he's already shown? Isn't that powerful? This is the hound and the fox. What child is this? Is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping Who angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping Helpless Hungry, lowly, afraid, wrapped in the chill of midwinter, comes now among us, born into poverty's embrace, new life for the world. Who is this who lives with the lonely, sharing? sorrows, knowing their hunger. This is Christ revealed to the world in the eyes of a child, a child of the poor. What child is strangers here Show. 
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM. We're glad to have you back. And that song was beautiful. I really like the harmonies. That was The Hound and the Fox. What a child it, is this, the child of the poor. It was beautiful. Beautiful. Shell was getting some sneaky Christmas songs in there, wasn't she? It's a beautiful song. And it related really well to the topic of what we're talking about with Jesus. The, I guess the question, where is Jesus from? Who is this guy? All right, so let's continue. We're in John chapter uh, 7, verse 32. But before we do that, <gasps> I just wanted to say one word to you. Alfalfa. Alfalfa. Alfalfa? Alfalfa. That, my friends, is the code word. Alfalfa. Good luck with spelling it. It's pretty simple, but Alfalfa. it's a little counterintuitive. So alfalfa is the code word. So right now, while you've got a chance... Call or text in. The first person to call or text in with alfalfa as the code word is going to receive the free copy of that book about, oh, what was it, the, the, the caveman? The richest. The richest caveman. The, the richest one, caveman. Anyway, the number is 0491-064-669. That number again is 491 064 Zero six four double six nine. The code word is alfalfa. Alfalfa. And it was the richest caveman following the story of the conversion of a evangelist uh, from California who is, uh, or sorry, how he came to know Jesus by reading the Bible while living in a cave. Living in a cave in Southern California. Oh. It's a great story. So call or text in to zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. The word is alfalfa. Okay, we are in John chapter seven, verse thirty two. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? Isn't it interesting? Where Where is Jesus referring to? Where is he going? Um, Ooh, why do you so have good. so much fear? You don't know the answer to this one. You're looking at me. You're a theology student. I think you know the answer. He is going to the grave. And then? And then he's going to... He's going to die. He's going to go in the grave, and then he'll be resurrected, and then he'll go to heaven. Hey, there we go, finally. <laughs> so he won't. They can't go there. Of course, they can't go to where Not he yet. is going. Yeah, but they right? can't go because he's going to be ascending to heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection, and then his ascension to heaven. So it's very interesting. What they're pointing out is they're showing that they're not getting what he's saying. He's identifying. I have come from where? From the Father in heaven. He says, you know me and you know where I'm from, but you don't know what I'm about. You don't know why I came. And he's talking about, like, you understand some earthly things, but it's evidence that they don't even understand that because they don't know that he was born in Bethlehem. But also that they don't understand the heavenly things, the nature that he has come from from heaven to do this and that he is returning to heaven. And I think it's just fascinating because it identifies their lack of getting it. And how often are we in the same place? Jesus is speaking clearly to us and we are not getting it yeah for sure and look it's i don't i'm i'm not i'm not giving them what's the word i'm not siding with them in any way but yeah jesus is talking about things that are heavenly that's right so yeah they're they're just thinking of the earthly things and so that's why i think that yeah, they missed a lot of the point spiritual things are spiritually discerned yeah i like it yeah. all right let's continue verse 37 because it's about to get real good on the last day of the feast the great day 
Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, now there's a lot that needs to be said on this. Have you done a bit of homework on this one? Not really. Not really? Okay. <laughs> I just, I, I I just know, know you're, I'm like, you're a Theo student. Theology student, you're probably like digging into this text. You probably have a great understanding of this, but it's okay. I, I have a little bit. I only have a little bit of understanding too, but it's, I think it's a valuable thing to comment on. And I know we've labored the point a little bit with the feast, but I just need to say what happens on the last day of the feast. Every day the trumpets sound, but on the last day of the feast, the trumpets sound like it's it's a, a big, big deal. And the trumpet sounding is the signaling of the um, uh, signifier, sorry, uh, is the symbol, sorry, of water. The water, all, all of the stuff that happened in um, their their time when, when, they, when they left Egypt, so they walked through the Red Sea, that's the water. The bitter water was turned into sweet water, water again. Then the water that came out of the rock, water. They, without the water and all these things that, they, that had happened with for them, that God had done for them, if they hadn't happened, they wouldn't be here today. So it's so important for them to, like the sounding of those trumpets is the water that has been. And so when you hear Jesus say, I am the living water, he is not only drawing on that, that image that they have, like the remembrance of, 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 of that time in Egypt, but he's saying, in me, you will find this living water. I am God here and I will give you the living water. Totally. Yep. Fully. You've got this crazy ceremony going on every day, and there's, there were certain psalms that they would sing, and this idea of the water. They would take the water, and, and they would have a pitcher of water and a pitcher of wine, and they would pour them into these two receptacles, and they would flow out east and west from the temple. And this was indicating some things about how God was going to set set things right in the world, how peace is going to come. All of these kinds of things are kind of like connected into this thinking. And so here Jesus is, and he stands up in the midst of all of this stuff. Everybody's looking at all of these symbols. They do this every year. It's powerful. And by the way, like they had huge lamps of oil. Like it's, it's incredible. You should look this up. And here is Jesus standing up and saying, you think that the, all of this stuff's going to save you, right? Like you think that all of this is the point, but all of these things are symbolic of the ultimate thing. And by the way, how important is water in Palestine? Oh, right? yeah. Uh, by the way, it's uh, not exactly the most fertile place now, if you look at it on a map. And you and I, if we don't have water for a number of days, we'll die. We're made up mostly of Of water, water, right? Like water is essential. Water is more important than food. You can live longer without food than you can without water. And Jesus says, I am not only the water, but the living water. In other words, this is this should be coming back. John 4, mm. I will give to you living water that will well up into you into a spring that leads to everlasting life. What's he talking about? Well, here John clarifies he's referring to the Holy Spirit. Mm. And Jesus is saying that when you come to him, he will give you the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot continue. You cannot have everlasting life. You need the Holy Spirit within you to endow you with that. And he's promising that that's what's going to be happen, going to happen if they come to him. And by the way, doesn't it know, isn't it interesting? It talks about it like a spring. It will flow up out of you. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not just for you. It's, ju- it's not just enough water for today, 
right? When the Holy Spirit is in you and you're welcoming him in daily, it's a constant bubbling up and overflowing of life-giving water, right? Symbolically, and that's not just for you, but it's to be extended out and given to others. This is what the love of God put into your heart by the Holy Spirit will do and will look like. And just to add, with with a spring, it continues to pour. Even even when you give, it will continue to pour more. So the spring just continues to bubble up and continues to give. And so that's what's amazing. Like when the Holy when you take on the the Holy Spirit is working in your life, you think that it will be depleted, but no, it just keeps continuing to give because it's life giving and it's from God. I love it. All right, we're gonna we're gonna read a little bit more because um, we're gonna we are gonna get through the chapter today. But we're not going to get through all in this this quickest section. So let's keep reading verse 40 onward. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is this the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. And so notice again that as we read through, there's incredible division among the crowd. Who is this man? Where is he from? Is he truly the Messiah? I was thirsting for that living water Drinking from a well that don't satisfy When I met a man whose words were like no other He said, draw from a well that'll never run dry Told me everything I'd done He said, come and drink the living water Come and take from streams of life You will thirst no more You will thirst no more I was hungry for heaven's manna And eating the meat that perishes and dies And I met a man, he walked upon the water He said, come partake of the bread of life The bread that cometh down from heaven He said, come and drink the living water. Come and take the bread of life. You will thirst no more. You will want no more. There's a water that's pure. There's a bread that's true There's a light that shines And He's calling you I was without form and void in darkness All around me was trouble and strife I met a man, he led me from my blindness He said I am the light of life The light that lighteth 
In the dark, couldn't find my way Looking for the light of day All around me, trouble and strife Eating the bread that don't lead to light Clouds with no rain were filling my sky I was drinking from the water that don't satisfy I met a man who led me from blindness Spoke to me in words of kindness Gave me to eat of heaven's bread Come follow me, is what he said Called us to his sons and daughters He said I am living water You will thirst no more You will thirst no more You're listening to Real Faith But it's not as real as it could be Why, you ask? Because this isn't the live show. So as good as this is, the live show is where it's really at. Join us every Thursday from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. so you can be involved live. Hey, everyone. We're the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson. And you can join us every morning on The Breakfast Show. We cover news that matters and do our encounter with God. We also have an intense quiz, great giveaways, or inspiring music, and best of all, you can have your say and be a part of the Brecky family. We're live across Australia, so check your Faith FM program for your local airtime.
that all the beauty you see the face of God Blessed are you making peace on earth Blessed when you fall Even when it hurts It's beautiful Beautiful like a city listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio, and we are excited to have you with us. What time is it, Shell? Oh, that's funny. Oh, man. I love it. It's good. All right. So we have a couple of questions uh, coming in today, and our first question, I think, is coming from David. Was that it, right? That it is. The right it's name? from Thank David. Thank you, David, for your question. And the question from David is today, when the woman was caught in the act, why wasn't the man brought together with her? Because I'm definitely sure they would have been caught together. Yes. Hmm. Okay, so for the context there, for those that are not familiar with that story, we're actually going to be going through that next week in John chapter 8. And um, basically, a woman is caught, it says, in the very act of adultery, and she is brought before Jesus in the temple. We're going to talk about that next week. Um, but specifically, obviously, to be caught in the act of committing adultery means there's another person involved. And so, therefore, why did they not bring the man from that scenario as well as the woman? Yeah. And my, the, I think the quickest answer to that is, yeah, why didn't they? Yeah, right? why didn't they? <laughs> um, and I think the point there is, is very clear that according to the, the Torah, according to the law of Moses, he was supposed to be brought. And justice was supposed to be given to both parties who were responsible. And uh, you can turn to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, which reads like this. It says, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, added for emphasis, the adulterer and the adulteress. 
shall surely be put to death. So notice notice here that the penalty was quite severe, mm-hmm. and that was the same for all sorts of sexual sins. But notice also specifically that it was just. It was not one person. It was not like, oh, well, the man's not responsible. It's only the woman's problem, which you sometimes see that in some cultures horrifically, that only one party would be considered to be required uh, so to have a penalty or to be held up to justice for an issue like this when clearly both parties are involved in yeah. consenting to this, etc. Right. So you've got some some serious problems. And that's exactly what's being covered in the point. And we'll talk about that in more depth. So make sure you come and listen next week. But Jesus is identifying in that context that what the what these people are doing is they are abusing a situation. It's very possible that they had even orchestrated this, because how do you find this in the act, right? It's very possible that they were participating to try and make this happen, which, if that's the case, it's even more heinous. So really, the yeah, as I said, the, question, the answer to the question is they should have brought the man and the woman together because they both needed to be uh, addressed in the court system of the day for those things according to the Torah, according to the law of Moses. Mm. So I hope that's helpful to you, David. What's our next question? So the next question comes from Brett. Thank you for sending in your question today. And it says, when is it appropriate to rebuke a brother? That's a good question. It is a good question. Ooh. Would you like to start us off? Well, ah, oh man, I'm the friend that t- tends to tell you the truth. And I'm the one, I'm that friend. I'm that friend that's usually the one that does the rebuking. Not because, <laughs> not because of. Everybody needs a friend like that. Everyone it needs a friend like that. Which is why sometimes my friends avoid me. <laughs> but um, the reason is because a lot of the time, that I I feel it, it's it's appropriate at most times to rebuke a brother, but there's obviously you need to find a time and a situation that is safe for both of you, so that they're not feeling like what, what's the word like you're hounding on them or kind of like you know you want to make this the the whole purpose of rebuking. Um, there's a verse Second Timothy four verse two. Preach the word. Be ready in, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. You're doing it because you love them. You're doing it because you're wanting them to see something that is wrong, or maybe they're they're erring in some way, or erring in some way. Um, and even like there's a lot of statements in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes as well that says. Um, it's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of a fool. And th- this, this is all true, but it's it's all about the delivery as well. Like it's the truth, but in love. Mm. Yeah, and be sensitive to that, and know if it's especially when it's a brother, you will know when is the right time. But if it's something, I, I guess, if it's something to do with that's. Um, that's going to involve like death or something like that, then do it straight away. Like if it's something that's going to bring harm to them or to their family, then make sure you're doing it straight away. But as I said, like like sensitive in love and a lot of I statements. Like, brother, I feel I see this going on because you want them to see, hey, this is just my perspective. You may think it's something totally different and you may not even think there's something wrong with what's going on, but you just want them to see, hey, because I love you, I want you to see what I see. Mm. And so, yeah, just approach it in that way. Um, yeah, if you want to just add to that. Yeah, I think you've said some really great things. Um, first of all, I want to clarify, when, when you say a brother, uh, I think that for those that might not be familiar with this term, it's probably referring to somebody who is a fellow believer in Jesus. Um, and in that context, you're then 
you're dealing with the fact that you're in the family of God together. So it is very much like trying to address a conflict with a brother or a sister. Um, the first thing, this is a piece of wisdom that uh, a friend of mine who was on the radio recently, Blake, has has uh, said many times in his church, and he says, relationship before rebuke. And the reason I highlight this is sometimes we might think we get some new person coming into church, and there there's certain things that they're doing or saying, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And sometimes we can jump to rebuke people before we have relationship and rapport, and we can just scare people away or chase them off. So I think it's important to establish um, that there's a relationship, that they, there's some accountability for for this person to be able to be connected to you if you're going to have a good outcome as a general rule. There are obviously times where, where rebuke may need to be necessary. People are doing crimes or things that need to be addressed, people, you know, violence, et cetera. That, that might be the case. Secondly, I think that um, in Matthew 18, Jesus says, when somebody sins against you, so also a time to rebuke a brother or sister would be when the issue is something that they have sinned against you. So first of all, if, it, if it's against you, you're in the primary position to go and address that with them. And he, how to do that, you can check out in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, and he talks about a, kind of a level of rebuke. First, it starts with a personal, private, one-on-one conversation. But then, if they're not willing to acknowledge the sin and it's, it's, it's an issue, then you bring witnesses, a couple of witnesses to be with you that, that you can work together so they can see that, that, yeah, that this is more than just this. There's other people who see this. And then if that doesn't work, if there's no reconciliation, then it, it gets taken to the broader community, to the church. And uh, I think that that level um, of escalation is important because there are times when it's not just sin that you did against me personally that needs to be addressed, but there are times where the church needs to address issues of sin, and that can, that involves rebuke. Now remember, Jesus then goes on and he says, and if they don't respond to the church, treat them as a heathen and a tax collector. But how did Jesus treat heathens and tax collectors? He worked for the salvation of their souls. It wasn't to reject and condemn them. It was to, in, in order to try and bring them back to the truth. Secondly, um, when it's scripturally clear, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful and profitable for it teaching, correction, reproof, and training in righteousness. And um, notice that when it's scripturally clear that there's a reason to be rebuking. We don't want to just rebuke people because we have a difference of opinion on something that's not clear from scripture. That's not necessarily going to be a positive conversation. So make sure that you know when you're rebuking somebody, it's, it's for something that's actually the issue. And uh, one final one here is... Um, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 20, it talks about if someone is continuing in sin. And so the difference there is when someone is continually repeating the same behavior that you've already tried to address, it talks about instructing that person in a broader context um, within the church as well. And so there's there's a place for that as you look through these passages in Scripture. So I hope that's helpful to you. By the way, it's never easy. Yeah, and and not- always remember that that the other person has feelings and thoughts and perspectives. And sometimes some of our things are actually miscommunication and not necessarily always things that are particularly rebuked. So we need to go in with humility and prayer. So anyway, I hope that's helpful to you, Brett. Thank you so much for your question. This is Sarah Groves, Blessed Be the Tie. Before our Father's throne we pour out ardent prayer Our fears and hopes are one 
You're listening to Real Faith on Faith FM with Robbie and Tash, and we are so excited that you've been with us today. It's been a great show. We are going to finish off the last little bit of John chapter 7 so that we can uh, start fresh next week. We're going to do everything but the last verse, by the way. So we're going to start with verse 45. This is John 7, 45 to the end. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And 52. And 52. (laughs) They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Boom. Okay. A couple of quick things. First of all, Nicodemus is back on the docket. Okay. So in John 3, we talked about how Nicodemus was having this conversation with Jesus and we did not know what happened. Well, what we know now is at this point in the story, he doesn't seem to be declaring outrightly that he's a follower of Jesus, but notice what he does here. He stands up for what is right. Mm. And when you find yourself standing up for what is right, you will often find yourself on whose side? The side of Jesus, because he is the one who is always in the right. Right. So I love this. Nicodemus says, hey, hang on a second. We're, we're here to be the executors of the law of Moses, the Torah. And yet doesn't our law condemn us from bringing people in and condemning them without a, a proper hearing, a proper trial? Right. And so he's actually quoting from Torah. Right. He's talking about, hey, or, or, or referencing Torah. You know, we're supposed to hear a man out and judge them and then you execute punishment. He says, but but why are we trying to do the opposite? Do the opposite. We're trying yeah. to get rid of him without actually having a hearing, without having a trial. He's not allowed to, t- to speak for himself. And notice their response. Their response isn't like they need a rebuke, right? Yeah, they do. The, the response is not, you're right. We need to go arrest him so that we can have a trial and hear him out for ourselves, right? They say, what are you talking about? Are you also a believer? You one of them? Are you misled? Are you like these uneducated people who are following Jesus around? Read the scriptures, Nicodemus. You're a Pharisee. You should know better. No prophet is prophesied to arise from Galilee. Again, not asking the questions. They're assuming they know where Jesus is from. All right, so what can we draw out of this chapter practically that we can apply to our lives today? Well, on that note, I'll start off with one. I think it's very clear that we need to assume less and ask more. And I think that this, you know, this is confronting to me because I do this all the time. And sometimes it leads us to sticky situations. And then we have to deal with backpedaling and figuring out what we did wrong. And, you know, we have to make apologies and all of this stuff. When often a lot of these things could have been avoided if we had just investigated further before we spoke up, before we decided what to do. So point number one, let's ask more questions. Yeah. Ask more questions. Get to the bottom of things rather than just assuming we know and moving forward. Yeah, no question is a bad question. Always always ask. And and most of the time we don't know. So what there's nothing there's no harm and there's nothing wrong with asking more questions. Um there was something earlier you said um that that we were talking about when about the brothers and how they were so ready to t- uh, to tell Jesus to go to Jerusalem and um about how um, sometimes when we see others doing better, 
uh, we try and bring them down. And we, it's not like on the surface. You can't see it. And we, and I don't think we mean to do it, but like deep in our hearts, there's, there's actually some other things going on. You know, like, like we're envying them or like there's, in seeing, in seeing the goodness that's going on is actually exposing what's actually really going on in our lives. And, Man, that's really confronting. Like, well, because it's true. I, mm. I've I've experienced this like on like, both sides, right? On both, like, on both sides, on both sides yeah. of that, right? Somebody somebody's got a problem with you because you do life differently than them, and yeah. they think that you're judging them just because you're trying to do what you feel convicted by God to do. And yeah. so that does happen. And then there are times where I do the same thing to other people, right? Yeah, I'm like, oh, get get all in a storm and get all upset because I think that they're being judgmental, but. They're, they're entitled to make their own decisions and to follow the convictions that God has given to them. They can do that. And sometimes I think, you know, obviously sometimes people come in and they do put that pressure on you and do things of that nature. But sometimes we're just a little too sensitive. Yeah. Let's be honest. I'm going to be real. <laughs> I'm a true. pretty sensitive person. <laughs> I'm a bit emotional and uh, I can acknowledge that. Yeah. But that, and that comes with great strengths and great weaknesses, mm. right? Just like every For other sure. circumstance. Yeah. So let's be a little bit less sensitive and and be a little bit more confident in just doing what God has told us to do. Mm. I think that's powerful. Anything else that we can draw from this chapter? Oh, just again, um, when Jesus is talking to them, he's talking about something that's heavenly and um, spiritually discerned and eternal. And they're just thinking of today and the things that are happening for them. And so sadly, that's where the Pharisees end that's they find their end in that but we 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 don't end it today but sadly that's yeah it's just remembering spiritually discerned things yeah totally and um i'm going to make this point again i'm going to make two quick points number one jesus did say do not judge by appearances but judge with right judgment dig a little deeper dig a little deeper and i think that ties back in a little bit with the questions and the not making assumptions which is something we all fall into at times but the last thing that I think is really, really vital, and I, I think I hammered this point a little bit at the beginning, but I'm going to hammer it again. Jesus said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. If you really want to understand God's will, you have to be seeking and willing to actually allow him to put it into practice in your life. That's when you're going to get the most out of Scripture. That's when you're going to really understand where God is leading and how he's leading you is when you're ready and willing to seek to do his will Mm. so remember that as you study the scriptures and be blessed stick around for drive time and remember my friends real faith is live faith